Welcome you, you belong here. And we've been working on a series called Why Doesn't It Work? And how many of you know that in the Christian walk, with your walk with Jesus, it's supposed to work? And what I mean, what's supposed to work? The Word of God, the Bible, is supposed to be working in your life so that you can see results. Right? That's the name of the game. Is we want to see results. We're supposed to produce fruit. We're supposed to see fruit in our lives, through our lives, not only to see it in for ourselves, but that we can be a blessing to others as well. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to Colossians chapter 1, and this is kind of where we're all tying this in. Colossians 1 verse 28, now just kind of give everybody a little bit of an understanding of what we've been doing here. Uh, the Lord gave us as a church family this one word, decontaminate, that we're to focus on this year. And anybody know what decontaminate means? Basically clean it up. We're cleaning it up. And part of that is, is we, to, you know, the, the dictionary definition of this is to remove dangerous substances from an area. It could be certain mindsets, it could be certain traditions, things that you've lived out in your day-to-day -day life, or you just kind of grew up believing this, or this is just what you perceive God to be like. Some of those thoughts can actually be contaminating you from experiencing results in your life. And that's what we want to get rid of, is that we want to present the Word of God so people understand it, so people get it, they can see the full picture of what Jesus came to do, so it's working in your life. We are so hungry and passionate here that the Word of God not just be something that's talked about Sunday, but that you see it throughout the week working in your and my life. Anybody interested in that? Yes. Man, absolutely. Because listen, God is watching over His Word to what? Perform. To perform it. The Word is a performer. What does that mean? It's just showing off. It's ready to do whatever the Word of God says it's supposed to do. We believe this Bible. We believe what Jesus said. And so it has to work. And that's what we're interested in doing. And so part of it, and you know what Jamie just said earlier, it's not God that's off. We may need to have to tweak. We may need to adjust our thinking. We may need to adjust the way that we live our lives a little bit so we can see the word actually working. Cool? Yeah. Awesome. Because you know one thing I learned about God in my working, my relationship with Him, it is not a democracy. This isn't a vote. You can't just go to the pallet one day and say, okay, I'm going to maybe do this. I don't want to do this. No, what he says, he's the boss. He's the king. So whatever he says, that's the way that it is. So that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. Oh, we're good. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay, just making sure. I'm coming in here. I love, man, we are just so thrilled. Thank you for being part of this church family. We, we love you and we're growing together. Right? I know this for myself. I do not have this whole thing laid out yet, but I'm on my way. And I know you can say the same thing. We are going together. We're growing as a family up into all that God has called us to do and be. Rock on? Okay. So Colossians 1.28, this is where we get the whole decontaminate from. This is what the Lord led us. It says, we tell others about Christ. Man, that's our message. Other translations in the New King James. It says, Him we preach. What do we preach? Opinions? No. no. What do we preach? Jesus. We preach Him. We talk about Him. Why? Because people need to see Him. The world doesn't need more Joel. That was an opportunity, man. That was your opportunity to get that shot in there. Right? The world doesn't need more Joel. It needs more Jesus. So we need to talk about Jesus. The world doesn't need more Impact Life Church. It needs Jesus. Okay. So what does he do? We warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them, talking people, to God, perfect in their relationship with Christ. Everybody say that last sentence with me. Perfect in their relationship with Christ. Now that word perfect, don't let that throw you. It just means mature. It just means it's a living and working relationship that you're seeing working in a day-to-day -day basis. 
The same way that I have a relationship with my wife, it's not just a weekly thing that I see her and we hang out. It's a living relationship. We are perfecting our relationship every time we're together. Right? Anybody got a perfect relationship? Well, yeah, one over, okay, one over there. We'll talk after. Great. I want to learn. But this is where, this is this so wonderful. God is leading us into this place to have a perfect relationship with Him. And I made this statement last week, but every issue, everybody say every issue. Not just a few here and there. Every issue that mankind faces is because there's a part of our relationship with Christ that has not yet been developed. That's all that it is. If you're seeing some areas in your life that you're frustrated with, why can't I get this relationship working? Why am I struggling in this addiction? Why am I struggling in this sin? Why can I not see a financial breakthrough? Why can't I experience healing in my physical body? What is going on? I confessed it. I believed it. I listened to preaching on it. What's going on? Part of it is you just got to get back into a relationship with Christ. Relationship with Jesus, a lot of times we separate healing from the man. We separate peace and I want joy in my life. I want the blessings of God in my life. You cannot separate it from a relationship with a man. It's all Him. Who is Jesus? He is healing. He is the blessing of God. He is favor. He is everything that we'd ever want, all wrapped up in this beautiful and amazing man called Jesus. It's all in Him. So what we need to do is we got to get our life. We got to get this relationship matured and fixed and in proper running so that we can experience it in our life. Yeah. So that's the good news. It's not like, oh man, so it's not an issue of why isn't it working? We just got to make a few tweaks and get the relationship back on track. Yeah. Let that be the focal point, not why isn't it working going, okay, I need to get this thing sorted out in my relationship. So he says, we want to perfect everyone in our relationship with Christ. Now, just before we get going to this, we know God has a perfect will for you in my life. You know, Psalm chapter uh, 91, verse 14 through 16 it says, the Lord says this, I will rescue those who love me. Now I want you just to see this. How many times do you see the words, I will? What are those words, I will? That's covenant talk. This is something that God will do. I will rescue those who love me. What do you say next? I will. What? Protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. At least it says what? I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will what? Reward. Reward them with a long life. How many want a long life? <laughs> Half of us. Okay, the rest of you. We'll figure that out after. But not only does he want to give you a long life. If you're, listen, life, if you, you don't want to live long life if your life stinks. So then he goes on and adds, and give them my salvation. Now, a long life filled with the salvation of God doesn't just mean I'm saved. Remember salvation? Oh, it's more, when I'm doing this, everyone's like, what is that? It's nine words that salvation means. It means deliverance. It means rescue. It means safety. It means wholeness. It means victory. It means prosperity. It means health. And it means soundness. Whew, thank you. That would have been awkward if I missed one. <laughs> and I want to show you, give you my salvation. That's what he wants to do. So we know that to be the will of God. So I want to see this working in my life. So again, if, if you, I'm not going to go through all this just for time's sake, but if you would like to hear more on that, we covered that last week very thoroughly. So when we get into this, we are talking about now having a relationship with Christ. We have to understand and realize you know that you are called into a relationship with Him. Everybody know that you're called into a relationship with Jesus, right? Everybody know that. That's your primary call. 
Why are you here on this earth? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 tells us God is faithful and He has called us into a relationship or into a partnership with His Son, Jesus Christ. You are called. Man, you didn't choose Jesus. He chose you. And He chose you for what? Relationship. He chose you for a relationship. Think about that for a sec. You know, you see those kind of dating games on TV? And you got like three different contestants and you got like a lady kind of sitting over there and they got to ask questions and contestant number one, what do you think? And meanwhile, Jesus, he chose you. He chose you. He said that in John 15, didn't he? You didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, if he chose me, what does that mean? I have to respond to that, to that call. And what is that call? What is that whole response and that call that he asked me to join him in? It's a relationship with him. Man, that's amazing. This God of the universe has called us into a relationship with Him. But now, just like every other relationship in your and my life, we have to understand how this relationship is supposed to work. Because when we don't understand the, the, the reason or the purpose for a relationship, it can be dysfunctional in our life. For example, have you ever had tried to put something into somebody that they couldn't receive? Or have you ever tried to get something from somebody that they couldn't give? Anybody ever been in a boat like that before? Maybe it could be like a mentor, mentee type mentality where you're like, I just want to get that from somebody and at the same time they weren't able to give it to you. So it leaves you frustrated. So if you don't understand the purpose for a relationship, this is why a lot of marriages sometimes even crumbles because they don't understand the purpose for the relationship. It's more than just sex. Say what? Yeah, there's more to it than that. <laughs> I know it's a shock to my wife every time I say that, but this is three. <laughs> There's more to it than that. There's a, there's a reason. There is a call on my life. There is a call on her life that we need. <laughs> she said, I'm sitting with your mom. Yeah, that's awkward. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Okay. <laughs> I know that. Bless you, sister. Bless you. <laughs> Did you want to finish this maybe? No, okay, okay. But man, like as I was saying, uh, <laughs> we're around these lines moving forward. Um, dig up. Okay, she's telling me to dig up. Okay. <laughs> but there's a reason for her in my life that we are married together. God put us together for a reason. There's a call. There's people in your life. There's relationships, friendships. You're part of this local family for a reason. God saw fit that you needed people in here. There's certain gifts, there's certain talents, there's certain people that have something in them that will help propel you to where you need to go. Jesus needed his disciples. He couldn't get to the cross on his own. He needed his men with him. Right? The same thing for you in my life. So God strategically puts people in our life to pull things out of us, to help us get to where God needs us to go. And I'm so thankful, not only do we have Jesus and the Spirit of God working in us, but we got people in this church that are doing the same thing. We are hungry and passionate for you to get to where God needs you to go. Awesome, that should get exciting for someone. Okay. Now, why did Jesus come to this earth? Now, this is such an important question because how you view Jesus will greatly affect how He impacts your life. How do you see Jesus? What is He like? What do you view Him as? Because how you view Him is how you view church. How you view church is how you view Him. You can't separate the two. So what, what, what is church to you? What is the reason that we come to church? Is it, oh, I just, you know, I'm looking for an encouraging word. And that's great. You can get all those types of things. That's, that's wonderful. I mean, that's a part of what Jesus does. That's true. But one of the main reasons why Jesus came to this earth was to confront dysfunction in your and my life. 
right? Is to basically, you look at all the relation, the, his relationship with the Pharisees, he came there to actually put to naught, to kill all the types of systems and operations that these religious leaders put in place that were absolutely keeping people in bondage. Think about it. Ooh, it's hot back here. Don't want to explode anything. Okay. So here's, this is what Jesus said in Roman, Matthew chapter 4. Turn there real quick. Verse 17. Jesus said this. From then on, Jesus began to preach. So this is his message. Jesus went around and this is what he preached. What did he say? Now people kind of have a bad taste in their mouth about that, but let's say it all together. Repent! Now don't think turn or burn. Turn or burn. That's not what he was doing, standing on a corner with a sign telling people to turn or they'll burn. That's not good news. That's not the gospel. He said, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. I have the Ben Campbell Johnson translation and it says this, Change your attitude for an invasion of the Spirit is imminent. I'm going to say that again. It says, Change your attitude for an invasion of the Spirit is imminent. Man, that was his message. So what did Jesus preach? His message was of change, not tolerance. Right? What do you want to do? He came to confront the systems, the way that the religious leaders at that time had set up there. They left people in bondage, left people stuck, left people in this place, never able ever to attain to God. So he said, repent, change that thinking. It's not about your man-made traditions and about you trying to appease God. That's done. Change the way you're thinking. Change your attitude about it because the spirit dimension is coming. Now for you and I, this is vital. We got to get this. Next thing that he said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus replied and he said, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to this earth. I came not to bring peace, but what? But a sword. I know these are scriptures sometimes you kind of blink over. Just as you're reading it, oh, yeah, I'll miss that one. But you got to answer this. Why did he come? To bring a sword. He came to confront. He came to change things. John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus also said these words. Like, now think about this. We know Jesus now, but just think of it back then. When he was walking this earth as a man, for a man to go around and say this, I am the light of the world. We look and go, you are crazy, man. Like, nuthouse is down the street. Let's, let's go. Now, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So what is Jesus? He's saying, I'm the light of the world. What does light do? It confronts and exposes darkness everywhere. That's what it does, right? John chapter 1 and verse 5. It says this. Let's quit there real quick. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. 1 John chapter 5 through 7, it says this. This is the message that we heard from Jesus and now declare to you that what? God is light. What was Jesus' message? God is light. Change your thinking. Change it. Change your attitude. The spirit dimension is coming. God is light, and there is no darkness in Him at all. So He says, "If we, we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness, we are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. So listen, to have a relationship with God, when he confronts dysfunction, it's not you just kind of ignoring that, going, oh no, that's my life is okay, I'm okay living in this sin, I don't do it all the time anymore. No, no, you can't have true relationship with him anymore. 
Because he is in light. That's who he is. So I have to jump on board with him and go, okay, teach me how to get out of this so I can walk with you. Show me this. So now how does Jesus confront dysfunction in your and my life? I love this word. Reconciliation. This is the message of the church is reconciliation. Anybody a Christian in here? What does that mean? This is your message of reconciliation. This is who we are. This is what we sound like. This is what we talk like. This is what we look like is we are reconciling a world to him, but we're also reconciling believers now to come back to the life that God has prepared for us. Second Corinthians chapter five, 17 through 19. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Woo! Man, the old life is gone. What did you have to do for it? You just had to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. You believe that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you're saved. That's it. And what happened? What did he give you? New life. And it says all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So now, how does Jesus work in your and my life? How does this relationship work? He's going to do it through this word, reconciliation. And I want to break it down to you in four parts. This message of reconciliation, number one, as I said already, is we want to get people back into relationship with God. That's the message that we have to the world. Those that are out there, those that don't know God yet, don't know what Jesus did yet. This is our message, is God has already done the work, now come back to Him. Right? Listen, we cannot reach a culture that we're condemning. We cannot go after them, we're just condemning. No, no, God's heart towards them is, I love the world so much that I gave them Jesus. Jesus is a gift to the world. He's for them. He's not for just the Christian. He's for the world. That's why He came. So that's our message for the world. Number two is, while we get back into this, is we got to reconcile people back to each other. It's not okay that you just have a good relationship with God and you hate your brothers and sisters. That's not going to work. Right? You can see that in the prodigal son. Everything was hunky-dory between the, the, the oldest son and the dad. And then all of a sudden, when this prodigal son came back, this young one who wasted all of the money on prostitutes and wild living came back and this, the two brothers had an issue. So it shows me that this is a lot of time fine with people, but not this. And God came to reconcile this. <laughs> we need each other in this. We're not fighting anybody. You know what's crazy to me? You know what's sometimes weird to me? Church fights. What? Are you kidding me? We have the same daddy. We have bought by the same blood. We got the same Spirit of God on the inside of us, and we can't get along. I don't understand. Can someone explain that to me? He don't know what they did. Well, go talk to him, fix it, and get back on with it. Like, it's not worth it. Listen, we're all going in the same direction. And listen, you may need that person that's causing you the most problem to get you where you need to be going. Ask me how I know this. <laughs> But man, we need each other. I think that's just crazy. And that, that you can read all of 1 John. The whole preface around that book is about you and I having relationship with one another. That's the whole preface of the book. If we love God, 
and we love one another, then listen, we can't see him. So how do we know he's present? It's because I love you like crazy. That's the only, that's the only source that we have. So if there's any kind of strife between anyone, this is just for free right here. If there's anybody here that's got strife with anybody, fix it. Get rid of that thing. You cannot afford any of that because what it will affect is it'll eventually it'll affect this way. Oh, I'm good. Me and God are good. Yeah, but are you okay with the body? Because if there's any problems in the body, that will affect this way very quickly. Anyways, number three is we want to reconcile people to holiness and living a pure life. Right? Because you and I were separated not just from sin, but we're separated to God so that He can use us. And lastly, this is the one that I wanted to really focus on, is coming back to the life that God created you to live. And this is what we're focusing on. Why isn't it working? It's because sometimes you got to come back to the way that God created life to be. Yes, I'm talking as Christians. Because you know, it's possible to be a born-again, tongue-talking Christian and yet not seeing God working in your life. It's possible. Why is that so? It's because you got to go back. you got to change the way that you're thinking and go back to the way God intended for you and I to live this life. And that's what we're going to uh, finish up our time here together on. So Ephesians chapter 4, this is just, you don't, we'll get started. In, the message hasn't started yet, just so everyone knows. We haven't. <laughs> It says, verse 17, with the Lord's authority, Paul says, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. And Gentiles are non-Christians, non-believers, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. So what is it? This, he's talking to Christians now. What is the problem People not experiencing the life of God for themselves is two things. Number one is what? A closed mind. And what's the whole, what was Jesus' message? Hey, change your attitude. Repent doesn't mean turn or burn. Repent means I'm going to change the way that I'm thinking. We know Romans chapter 12 verse 2, it tells us now that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We got to change the way we're thinking. You know what's going to hold you back from fulfilling all that God has called you to do? An unrenewed mind. It's not some random sovereign act that God just poof, and all of a sudden I'm doing whatever God called me to do. It takes time. It takes the transformation. And how does that come? By changing the way that I think. Maybe someone here is called to have their own ministry or called to pastor or called to do some kind of, do something. God can't use you until you start changing the way that you think. Because what's holding you back? is this right here. You have everything on the inside. You got the power. You got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. He's there. But what's holding you back now from fulfilling it all? Right here. Right there. People's mindsets. So I want to encourage you this morning. We got to get rid of some denominational thinking. Right? God is bigger than denominations. Right? And the second thing was they hardened their hearts against Him. A hard heart. That comes from a closed mind. Eventually you get a hard heart. So this is, the, this is how Jesus started this. So before we jump into this, we're going to get going here. And everything he talked about, number one, is your attitude. So how are we going to approach this series as we get more deeper into this? Listen, it's going to be good. It's going to hurt so good that you're going to want more. Because listen, I, I know you want this because I know you. <laughs> you want everything that God came to give you. You want it. 
You want to fulfill, you want to walk just as Jesus walked. You want to look like him, you want to smell like him, you want to talk like him. Everything about us wants to look like Jesus. I'm not okay with just playing church. I'm not okay with just, you know, kind of doing churchy things. I want to look like him so that people around in our sphere of influence can go, how are they doing this? There's something about that church in Red Deer, something about that church in the, in the province. What's going on there? Because we look like him. Oh. Man, it's great to have all these cool little things that we're doing. and all, It's great to do all that stuff. But we got to look like Him. I don't want to look like Impact Life Church. I want to look like Him. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. So, this is the attitude then that Jesus lays out. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter uh, 18, please. And I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation. <clears throat> Don't breathe. Sorry about that, everyone. All right. And the reason, you know, I've just been, for my own personal time with the Lord, I've just been kind of reading through the Gospels. And this chapter just caught my attention. And because the very preface of it, the whole top, I guess, little subtitle on there, it asks this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom realm? And I don't know about you, but that, that turns me on. I want to know, Lord, how do you become great in the kingdom of God? Did you know it's good to want to be great? Yeah. It's a God-given quality that we all have. We all want to excel. We want to all be God what He called us to do. We want to be great. We want to be excellent. We want to be good in what we do. So I saw this and it kind of caught my attention going, okay, what is the, or who is the greatest in the kingdom realm? And so verse 1, Jesus said, or it says, At this time the disciples came to ask Jesus, Who is considered to be the greatest in heaven's kingdom realm? Jesus called a little one to his side and said to them, now I just, again, I think this is amazing. They asked this loaded question. How can you be great? Who's the greatest in the kingdom realm? And Jesus, where you, where you came from when this whole heaven thing, who's the greatest in this whole thing? And he doesn't right away start by just start speaking to them. He stops and he pulls a toddler, actually, the, you look kind of do some study. He pulls a toddler to him, about four or five years old, puts him in front. Now, he hasn't said a word yet, so I want you just to picture that. Who's the greatest in the kingdom realm? Here's this. Here's this toddler, right? Here's this four-year-old right here. <laughs> then verse 3, he said, Learn this well. Unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable and learn about heaven's kingdom realm without realm with the wide-eyed wonder of a child you will never be able to enter in whoever continually humbles himself to become like this gentle child is the greatest one in heaven's kingdom realm oh. so that should just kick your pride right out how who is the greatest in heaven's realm wide-eyed kids Man, what's exciting them? The best way that I can describe it is when we went to Disneyland last summer and I saw my kids all of a sudden, they saw Buzz, their hero at that time. So dull to you. Church should never be boring. And you know why that is? It's because we got closed eyed on it. 
Maybe we had some all these great things and I was cool for a little bit, but now I've been a Christian for about 50 years now and just it's kind of gotten a little lame. <laughs> Sing the same songs, got the same microphone problem. Come on. <laughs> The parking still is atrocious, like let's do something there. We're letting all these things dictate our wide-eye excitement for the kingdom realm. Every time that the word of God is open, we should be, okay, God, what, what are you telling me? Because this is his direct access to you. This is my direct access to him. Every time that I open it, ooh, this is it. So Jesus said, you got to keep this. And I love the way that he prefaced it. He said, Unless you dramatically change the way of your thinking and become teachable. Did you know that nobody can force teachableness on you? Nobody can force you to be humble. You better humble up. That, that never works. Who has to humble themselves? I got to do it. I'm in charge of me. I have to humble me. Listen, God's not going to humble you. People, you can pray that all day long. Oh, God, humble me. Trust me. He will never humble you. Never, ever, ever, ever. Why? Because it's you that has to make that choice. You have that choice to say, you know what, Lord, I'm asking you to teach me. I'm coming before you wide-eyed. What do you want to show me today? Let him teach you some things. Now I want you to go to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to again read it to you from the, this translation here. In verse 25. You all doing okay? Okay. Verse 25, it says, Jesus exclaimed, Father, thank you, for you are Lord, the supreme ruler over heaven and earth, and you have hidden the great revelation of your authority from those who are proud and wise in their own eyes. Now, anybody in here think they're smart? Good. Keep your hand down. All right. <laughs> you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says these words, If anybody thinks he knows something, he actually knows nothing. Listen, you can read this Bible over and over. You could read John 3.16 over and over. Never think that you've arrived. Oh, I know John 3.16. No, you don't. Trust me, there's more to it that we have not yet seen. So as long as you have this, oh, I know this mentality, this in the kingdom of God is actually going to be hidden from you. It's hidden. Because we just read it right here. This is Jesus' words. Um, you have hidden the great revelation of your authority from those who are proud and wise in their own eyes. Instead, you have shared it with these who humble themselves. Yes, Father, your plan delights your heart as you've chosen this way to extend your kingdom by giving it to those who have become like trusting children. You have entrusted me with all that you are and all that you have. No one fully and intimately knows the Son except the Father, and no one fully and intimately knows the Father except the Son, and the Son is able to unveil the Father to anyone He chooses. So it's not just you, oh, I'm going to get this revelation from God. It's not about that. Can I just throw this at you? You know, God does not look at good and bad. He looks at pride and humility. That person's bad, that person's good. He doesn't see any of that. He looks at pride, He looks at humble. That's how we view it. How come there, there is some, some Christians even, this seems that they're getting more help from God than others. Proud, humble. It's not because he's good and he's bad. Listen, in God's eyes, there is no favoritism. Right? You've read that. Right? God doesn't have any favoritism with anybody. So what does he do? He sets himself up against the proud. Those that think they know it all. I got this. Anybody ever say that? I got this. I got it. No, I got this. 
No, you don't. <laughs> no, no, trust me. I'm really good. I really got this. If I just work for five jobs, I got this. I, I, I can take care of my family. Oh, you think so? Okay, so what happens? God actually sets himself up against the proud, but what does he do? He gives more grace to the humble. So how about you, but I'm going to jump on the grace train. I'm going to jump on the humble train. And so what does that require of you and I? To be wide-eyed and excited about every time that he opens the word. Rather than, oh Lord, I know this. No, 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 no. Be teachable. Be humble. Be willing to change. Don't just think, oh, I've been doing this for a certain amount of years. You may need to change some things. I've been getting the same results for the past 20 years. It's time for a change. <laughs> right? Anyways. It says, verse uh, 28, you, If you are weary, carrying a heavy burden, then come to me and I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, and easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me, for all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. Woo! Isn't that good? Did you know God is easy to please? Right now, is He pleased with you? <laughs> that was four. <laughs> is He pleased with you? Because I don't know about you, but this is something that I struggle with. I have no problem with God loving other people, but I have to work sometimes in order for God to love me. I'm just, this is a little window into my own life. This is some things that I had to get corrected in me. That I have this God box that I have to check off every day. Did I pray? Did I read the word? Did I confess? Did I do my Christian act? Meanwhile, okay, I did that. Okay, God must be pleased with me. That is absolutely going to kill you. It's going to rob you of your joy. It's going to rob you of everything God wants to do in your life because it's now based on you trying to perform to a God who doesn't need that. He already loves you. Every morning I wake up, that box is already checked. He loves me. What did I have to do to deserve it? Nothing. Just being Joel. Not because I pastor a church. It had nothing to do with that. It's just me being me. He loves me. God, that was helpful. Okay. Now, so we have to go back to the lay that life was created. We have to go back. So how does he do this? Romans 2.4 just says this, God is kind, but he's not soft. In his kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. That's what he's doing. He's interested in you and I having a radical life change. What is that going to take? It requires us humbly lifting up our hand to him. He firmly grasping it and revealing to us how to do life now. This is how you're supposed to think. This is how I want you to act. This is the way that life is supposed to be. Right? So, now jumping into this, the last about 15 minutes or so here. Effective reconciliation. Number one, this is where this whole premise, this is where all of this starts. And before launching into this, I want to just make this one statement. Truth has to move from concept to conviction. Because once that takes place, it will affect your behavior. And this is this one thing that's been happening for me. I've moved it from this going from a concept. Okay, I, I know this is true. Moving it more to a conviction. I believe with this with all my heart. It's affecting my behavior. It's changing me. Because now I'm not just, oh yeah, this is nice. I'm living by my convictions. And this is the first place that you and I, we got to start. This is the very strongest foundation box that you and I have to get rooted and sorted out. Is that God is the source for everything. Say it with me. God is the source. Now I know you, you've heard that, but you don't know it like you need to know it. 
He's the source of everything. Now I would like you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at this for a bit. Because we got to go back to creation and we got to see how God started this whole thing off. He's the source. So what does that mean? Are you the source? No. God's the provider. What does that mean? Who am I? I'm a receiver. If he provides everything, I have to receive. <sighs> this is too easy. Yeah, I, I know. But we got to get this. Why isn't it working? It's because you left this, this understanding and this reality of God's a source and you're trying to be your own source. Whether it be financially, whether it be job, whether it be peace, whether it be joy, whether it be health, whether it be anything nice in your life, even mental health. People are trying to fix themselves. Stop it! You're no source. You got nothing. Who's the source? He is. He's the source. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Look at this. What does it say? In the beginning, God. Oh, man, I love those words. In the beginning, God. So I'm reading this and I'm looking at it going, okay. So nothing was in creation before God. And everything that exists came from Him. These lights that you see. What you see on the stage. All this, all this stuff, plastic. The chair that you're sitting on. All exists because he started creation. Again, simple, but we got to understand this. Nothing was here apart from him. And before him, there's nothing. There's no currency. There's no money. So after God created everything, what happened? We got this. We got jobs. We sing all this. We got people. We got trees. We got lions. We got all these cool things that we're seeing out here. It's a result of God starting something. God being the source of something. He started it all. Right? In the beginning, God. Now, I want to just read through Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. I want to just show you this. God provided for man in everything. Verse 7. It says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. So anybody could say, I'm a self-made man. No. Listen, there's, there's a show, and I, I really enjoy watching this show. It's called Shark Tank. You, know, you see those entrepreneurs, they come up with ideas, and sometimes they're awesome. Sometimes they are like, how did you get on the show? <laughs> and, uh, man, so, but kind of the very beginning of it, you kind of, you know, get a little bit here about some of the sharks and stuff like that. And as I was listening to one the other day, kind of going, and man, they, these guys, and they, they develop such success for themselves. They've made themselves big. It's like, no, there is no such thing as a self-made man. Everything good comes from God. Sure, you could have wisdom and practical tools on to apply it, but in reality, nobody's a self-made man, self-made woman. It is impossible. Nobody, listen, anything good about this church is because of Him. Anything bad about this church is because of us. <laughs> it's the reality. I'm realizing that. Anything good in me that's of, that's not, people go, oh, I really like that about you. It's because of Him. Anything that they don't like about me, guess what? Hey, it's me. So that's why I want to perfect my relationship so we can kind of squeeze out that, oh, I don't really like that about him. Right? Cool. Okay. It says, He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Who gave him life? God. Then you go on. Then the Lord God, what? planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man that he made so not only that he made this amazing garden and he said here man whoop, 
put them in this garden. Then he says, then the Lord God, what? Made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It says a river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing it into four branches. The first branch called Pishon flowed around the entire land of Havilah where gold is found. <laughs> the gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Asher. The fourth branch is called Euphrates. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat from every tree in the garden and accept the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat the fruit, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. What? I will make a helper for him who is just right. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock and all the birds in the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So what? What did the Lord do? Ah, that's too bad. No? So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep. Adam, you need a nap. Here. Here's a God pill and have a, have a good snooze. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and then he what? He brought her to the man. And what did Adam do? Oh. No. Yes! Woo! I believe he did. You know. Oh, yeah. And he, at last the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone. <laughs> it's just a weird way to introduce yourself. <laughs> at last, you're bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a, why a man leaves his father and mother and the two are joined to his wife. They were one flesh. Now, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So in this whole thing, you can see, what did mankind produce for themselves? No, come on, say it with me. We know this, we've heard this, but something happened called the fall of man. And at that point, we see Adam and Eve leaving the source and becoming independent. How do we know that? It's because they, are, they tried to sew fig leaves together. Anybody ever tried to make fig leaf dress? Maybe a pair of Levi's. Anybody ever tried that before? I just sew a few fig leaves here. It doesn't work. <laughs> right? You can see they left wisdom. They left the source of everything. And right at that moment, they felt shame. They, they saw that they were naked and they felt shame. So they covered themselves up because they lost contact to the source. Right? And I'm going to just uh, present to you. This is the lie that they were told. This was the lie, that it would be beneficial for Adam and Eve to rebel against God so that they could be like Him, so that they could ascend His throne, so that they could live apart from God and have control of their own lives and have it their way, that they could themselves be all that God was supposed to be for them. This was the lie, that you don't, need, you don't actually need God. Did God really say? And you know what? Even as believers, you and I, that's a question that we have to continually answer. 
We got these lies coming to us all the time. Did God really say that? I, I, I've heard other, that happened for other people, but did he really say that? And listen, those are just trickeries of the enemy coming back at you every single time. And he's asking these questions. These are, this is what Adam and Eve believed. Okay, that you don't actually need God in your life. God is actually, he's, he's irrelevant. God, now that we're in 2018, he's an irrelevant God. This book is old. It's 2,000 years old. It's irrelevant now. Uh-uh. We're leave, the, the whole tactic of the enemy is to disconnect mankind from the source. And the moment that disconnection happens from the source, what happens is stupidity. You are left to think for yourself. You're left to try to fight for yourself. Because listen, you and I, we were not created to be God. Hello. <laughs> we weren't meant to be in charge of trying to figure out how this whole thing works. We're supposed to hear it from Him, and then He leads us in how we're supposed to react. We left the source. But now, thank God, in this whole thing, we have this thing called redemption. Now, God in Christ is reconciling all things back to Himself. That's what He's been doing. 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on that cross, He reconciled all of creation back to God, and He's still in the process of bringing things back to order the way that it was, the way that God intended for creation to be. So listen, we're heading back there, but we don't have to just wait till He comes back. We can start participating in it now. Why? Because the enemy is defeated. He's defeated. The devil that we're fighting against is already paralyzed. So what do we got to do? We have to occupy. We have to take the victory that Jesus gave us and we have to now enforce it. We got to do that. Because as long as the church is just kind of its cute thing, people look at us as we're a crutch. It's just a crutch for you to get through life. No, no, no. This ain't no crutch. This is for you and I to live overcoming in victory in every asset of our life. That's what he came for. That's what he came to purchase. Jesus paid too high of a price for you just to barely make it. Just to live ba bill by bill, cycle by cycle, struggle by struggle. It's not about that. It's overcoming. It's victory. And people going and looking at you going, how are you doing that? I serve a living God. He's the source of this whole thing. Now in redemption, what did he do? He redeemed his creation back into its rightful place. How? As a holy God, God required the death penalty for sin of mankind. Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6, it says, He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now, in redemption, we come back to God as the source of life. Did you know that some people can still have some residue of the fall in them? Where is that? In your thinking. That's why Paul tells us you've got to change the way that you're thinking because you've now come back to the source of life. And now that you have the source of life, life is supposed to look different. It's not you trying to make things happen. It's not about you trying to make this work, trying to make this relationship work, trying to make this friendship work, trying to make this business work. It's not about that. It's about you now connecting back to the source and allowing Him to teach you, to show you how to do this, and you implement it as He tells you. That's the whole point of this thing. Isn't that amazing? That He's willing to come down and talk to me on my level. 
and say, this is how you can do this. This is how you can maneuver this. This is, you've been having struggle in your marriage. You know what? Talk to your wife this way. Man, show your husband this in this way. In doing that, he's able to now bring you life. We know that scripture, Matthew chapter 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. What does God do? He adds life to you. That's who he is. But as long as we are disconnected from the source, he can't get to you. So who's your source? That's a good question to ask. Who's your source? You need a source for everything. Who is your source for joy? Who is your source for peace? Who is your source for safety? Who is your source for health? Who is your source for blessing? Who is your source for mind for you, for wisdom? Who's your source for all of these types of things in your life? Who is the source for it all? Because listen, if you look to mankind for it, we will screw it up. I'm not designed to be a source. I can be a vessel from the source to impact and help somebody else. But I myself do not have all everything. I don't. Neither do you. But there is someone who does. And his name is Jesus. He's the source of it all. So let me encourage you. We got to get back to that lifestyle where I'm... Not just understand, oh, this is a cute concept. Let this be a conviction on the inside of you. He's the source for everything. So instead, like, why am I, why am I having struggles in my marriage? Rather than just trying to fix it and you trying to work things out, Lord, what do I need to do? Yeah. No, Proverbs 3, 6, in all of my ways, I'm going to acknowledge him and he's going to make straight and plain my path. All my ways. All my ways. And how, what is that? Again, our attitude is, Lord, teach me. I need your wisdom on this. Show me. Why? Because, yeah, I've only been married 10 years. I don't know this whole thing. Show me. How do I do this? There's been times where the Lord, man, Jamie had a little bit of a rough day with having three kids at home. And, Lord, I did it for about an hour and a half. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but, man, and there's been times where she just had a rough day. Come home. Joel, rather than saying anything, just give her a hug. And so, yeah, go ahead, give her a hug. Hey, sweet. No, no, no. I told you to shut up. Just give her a hug. <laughs> he will teach you, husbands. How to be a husband to your wife. How to be the leader in your home. How to raise up your godly kids. He'll show you that. But as long as we kind of just depend on somebody else to do it, we're missing the whole point. He's the source for my family. He's the source. God, how do I raise up? You gave me Jace, Max, and London. Those three are all very different. How do I do this? No parenting book can give me. I can get tools from it, but I don't rely on it as my source. You got to stick to the source. Right now, just in closing, one of the greatest men that I love in the Bible is David. Why? Because David, you can see this. He was a dependent man. That's how he lived his life. He lived dependent on God for everything. And it all started. I mean, it started while he was just being a shepherd. What is Psalm 23 verse one? Say with me, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. What is that? What is his mentality? Source. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And I want you just in closing, go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to close with Jace's favorite story in the entire world. David and Goliath. When Jace was two years old, he used to go to the park. And other kids at the park, they would either be Goliath or they would be David. And... Uh, I won't, I'll never forget this for as long as I live. Uh, he's two years old. We walked to this park. There was another little boy there. And I, I could just see Jason, his eyes looking, oh, a Goliath for me to conquer. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> so he walks up to this little kid and right like in kind of his broken English. 
um, I come at you in the name of the Lord God. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, man, you, you an evangelist, son. I like it. And he just, I come at you in the name of the Lord God. And the kid's just kind of like, you know, running around him and stuff. So Jace is chasing him, throwing this rock, boom, and pretended to throw, like he didn't actually throw a rock, thank God, but <laughs> I'm sure one of us had to stop him. But the kid didn't fall down, so then Jace went and tackled him. <laughs> and uh, we don't just teach Jace the, the cute version of it, because as we'll read, David also took Goliath's sword and then cut off his head. I got him, I got him! So... Needless to say, I'm glad he outgrew that fray phase, but uh, this is still the number one story. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I want you to look at verse 23. We're going to just pick it up here for a sec. Because I want you to think of this with this in mind. This is the very foundation for your and my living and having perfecting this relationship with him. He is the source. Say it with me. He is my source. He is my source. When... Gas goes up to $1.28. I don't go, what is going on? He is my source. When the government makes decisions that you may not like, He is my source. Talk way too much about that stuff. Because what you're showing is, they're actually your source. You are depending so much on what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is doing that it's affecting your well-being. And it's robbing you of your peace. It is robbing you of your joy. Why? Because you have actually changed your source now is over here. And every time that it's there in Jeremiah chapter 17, you can read that. But it's as cursed as any man who puts their trust in mere man. You're, you're stuck. You're stuck in this cursed system. But anybody who puts their trust in the Lord, what is their life? Blessed. They will never see drought. They will never see hard times come. It'll, their leaf will always be green because their trust is in someone. Not just a system. Not just a paycheck. Your paycheck isn't your source. Listen, this is a whole mind renewal thing. He says this, verse 23. Um, so this is, you know, Jesse gave him some food to go feed his brothers. And as he was talking with his brothers there, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. Verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. So some people look like when they see the gas prices go up. <laughs> Have you seen the giant? Have you seen the gas prices? The man asked, he comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. <laughs> and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. Now, I, I think it's funny because David kept asking this. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, What will a man get for killing the Philistines and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? He recognizes that somebody's talking bad about his source. You don't talk bad about my source. <laughs> Verse 27, and these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, this is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. <laughs> Verse 30, he walked over to some others and asked the same thing and received the same answer. He wanted to make sure that he's getting a girl out of this deal. <laughs> <laughs> now, just to be clear, what, what am I getting out of this? Okay, not to pay tax. I'm getting a lot of money. Okay, I'm getting a... 
Sweet. At the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Verse 31. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine. Now listen, this is somebody who has a mindset of, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I want. He is my source. What does he say when the whole nation is in turmoil? Don't worry about this Philistine. David told them, I'll go fight him. Say, what now? I'll go fight him. Okay. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. That's what I'm talking about. David's like a man's man. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I just grab that jaw and just start beating it. <laughs> I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. What is he talking? He's, it's, everything he's talking is source talk. This is all source. Oh, yeah, he's pretty big. Oh, man. Yeah, he's, he's got another guy. The spirit's pretty big. He's not even thinking about that because he knows his source. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. He said, may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David some of his armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it's like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go on these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into a shepherd's bag. Then armed with the shepherd's staff and the sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. So here is this kid. What does he look like? He's got a shepherd's staff and a sling and five stones to fight a giant. Naturally, you're crazy, man. You need something. Verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at his ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel's who you have defiled. Verse 46, today. Somebody say today. 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 Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. So he's just telling them what he's going to do. Why? Because he's connected to the source. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now just think about this. Man, he's talking trash. I like that. Just talking smack. Well, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. Oh yeah, well I'm going to take, cut your head off. Then I'm going to feed the whole army. I'm going to give that to the birds. Like they're just, they're just smack talking, going back and forth at it. And I think it's awesome. And that the whole world may know. That there is a God in Israel. That there is a source still protecting Israel. And what does the world talk about today when you see an uneven match in boxing or in a UFC fight? Oh, it's a David and Goliath match. Right? You hear that all the time. Why? Because David said it. 
Verse 47, And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues His people, but not with a sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and He will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran. Not even freaking out, not even a little concerned. Goliath like, took a step, like a little stutter step. Man, Goliath should have knew what was coming. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and it hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. Yeah. I wish I was in the Old Testament sometimes. <laughs> and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. How did he do that? Was that just, oh yeah, I, I got this. Oh, I got this, some 17-year-old guy. I, I got this. Yeah. Let's go, big boy. Come on, I'll, I'll get you. Man, his whole mindset is, it's not about me. It's the source. It's the source. I'm connected to the source. Anybody that talks trash, anybody that talks contradictory to this, I don't have to worry about what the government's saying, what the government's doing, what the gas prices are doing. Why? Because my source has said this, my God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved by what my source has said to me. Who is your source? If it's the Red Deer Advocate, get a different source. If it's the Globe and Mail, get a different source. If it's your boss at work, get a different source. There is only one source who is able to fulfill everything that you'll ever need in your life, and His name is Jesus. He has already spoken it. He has already said it. So let me encourage you, we got to go back to Him that His Word is the first word, His Word is the last word, and His Word is everything in between it. What is He telling you? When everybody says, oh, business is that the market is going down. No, no, no. My source says it's going to be the best year for me. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Oh, man, divorce rates are so high in Christians. Not in my family. Not in my church family. Not with my children. That's not the way it's going to be. Because my God said that with long life, he's going to satisfy me and show me his salvation. I'm just now hooking up with the source. I'm connecting back to him because he's got it all. <sighs> Let's all stand up before we hit somebody. <laughs>